0: Well, greetings to all of you. It's very good to be able to be here and speak to so many of you around the world. Uh, those who do not hear the messages today will have them recorded for later uh, to be able to view them. Some parts of the world, they're uh, definitely a different time zone, and uh, be in the middle of the night in some locations. Uh, also, we have different languages, Spanish and French and German, where uh, these will be translated for those particular areas. I'd like to mention a couple things before I get right into the sermon, and that is that yesterday we had a virtual uh, meeting, a virtual celebration of the 25th anniversary of Mr. Richard Ames' ordination. And I don't think he knew that that was coming, but he was online and we had uh, the office staff some of the regional directors and a few others that were able to tune into that and be able to congratulate him and tell some interesting stories. So uh, that was very enjoyable. Then we sent over a, a basket of uh, goodies uh, later on in the day. So uh, that was a, a very uh, happy occasion, a very good change of pace for all of us yesterday afternoon. Also, I'd like to congratulate the Omaha, I'm sorry, the Des Moines uh, I don't know how, it wrote Des Moines, Omaha, Des Moines, uh, Iowa uh, church or congregation there on their 25th anniversary. Uh, this was a day that I had on my calendar that I was supposed to send something to them or uh, visit the congregation there at this time, but uh, because of everything else, all that kind of went by the wayside. But nevertheless, this is the 25th anniversary, of the congregation there beginning with the uh, the, the, the starting up of the church after the apostasy that took place in the worldwide church. So congratulations to all of you in Des Moines. I have served there for about six years. It's been 19 years since I served there, and I think I've been back one time. So uh the congregation has changed somewhat, new people, and others have uh, died or uh, moved on to uh, someplace else, but congratulations to that congregation and to the other congregations that must have started up about that same time. Uh, we also congratulate you. Uh, okay, I, I said the 25th anniversary for Mr. Ames. It's the 55th anniversary. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, just uh, it, I got my fives mixed up there, or uh, the two and the five confused, but it should be uh, the 55th anniversary. Thank you for that uh, correction there. I think probably all of you figured that out, that 25 years was wrong, but you may not have known it was 55. Uh, there's a, a Chinese curse, at least it's been attributed to China and that is that uh, may you live in interesting times. That was intended to be a curse, a nice way of saying that you're under a curse. Now, it's difficult to nail that down, and from what I've researched on it, uh, there's no evidence that it actually did come from China, although some diplomats back to the United Kingdom or to England had used that expression and said that it was, but uh, there's nothing in writing as far as anything that I could find. Nevertheless, it's an interesting statement, and we use it here in the English language in the UK and here and elsewhere. Uh, May you live in interesting times, and we are certainly living in interesting times. Uh, Interesting not just as a a curse, but also as an encouraging time for the people of God, because we see that prophecy is moving forward. Uh, A pandemic is not necessarily showing that the end has come, but the ramifications of this pandemic, the economic shutdown, the geopolitical effects of it in a very modern and powerful world with nuclear weapons and uh, transportation as we have, uh, this is a very interesting event that is taking place in our world. And it's interesting on a number of levels, but I'd like to point out something that you'll be having the opportunity to read, and I hope you will take the opportunity to read all of our magazines. We've just had a couple come out, the Tomorrow's World and the Living Church News in recent weeks here. But the next Tomorrow's World magazine, which we are giving final reviews to right now, the one that will come out in July and August, has an article that I wrote on... uh, Uh, the perfect storm, because when we look around the world, we see a perfect storm of events occurring. Uh, The perfect storm was a meteorological phrase that was used by uh, weather forecasters where several different fronts or events came together, storms came together to create superstorms. And then there was a book that was written on the subject, and then the movie that came out, The Perfect Storm, and it has entered into our common language, at least in the Western world. Uh, we refer to a perfect storm. But it's a number of events converging together. When we look at the European Union as an example, they were already under very serious pressure, especially with the vote in the UK for uh, Moving or uh, removing, uh, uh, pulling out of the European Union, uh, Brexit as it was called in 2016, and it has gone on into the point where, finally, on January the 31st of this year, they did effect that that move out of the European Union. It's still another year and negotiating various terms of it, but they're out of the European Union, something that we had predicted in the church for many uh, decades. We weren't sure if they would come all the way out, but we knew that they would not be a part of that final ten nations. But it wasn't just the British that were dissatisfied with the European Union. The Dutch and various others had, had referendums on the subject, And a majority of the people in some of these referendums said that we want to be pulled out, but they were not recognized by their governments as being mandated or being required. Whereas in the UK, uh, they did follow through with the recommendation of the people. So there was a lot of dissatisfaction with the European Union already. Uh, Some of the Events that were taking place were economic, such as uh, the situation in Greece and elsewhere. Uh, the, the pigs, as they were called, Portugal, uh, Italy, Ireland, uh, G was Greece, and uh, S was Spain, those countries that were uh, struggling financially. And so that was part of the, the problem. Then we have the immigrants invading Europe. Now, when I say invading, it was not a hostile invasion in the sense of coming in with guns. These were people that were just struggling to live and to have a better life. But nevertheless, they were coming in by millions, and that brought about a lot of uh, dissatisfaction within the European Union, a lot of Euroscepticism, right-wing parties rising up such as the AFD in Germany, Uh, nationalism rising in Europe. But then, right at the time that the British pulled out, when everybody was wondering what is going to happen, what is going to be the effect on the UK, what is going to be the effect on Germany and the other nations of Europe, then we have COVID-19 enter the scene. And the talk about Brexit's kind of gone on the back burner, hasn't it? But it happened right at that precise time, just as they were pulling out. January 31st, and we are just beginning to hear about this virus coming out of uh, Wuhan in China. And uh, by February, the middle of February, it was uh, much more serious. To show you how fast it moved in such a very short period of time, I landed in uh, Bangkok in Thailand on the 16th of February, as I recall, looking back over the records. And at that time, Uh, there was a plane coming out of Wuhan that landed that very same day in Bangkok, as a couple of the fellows that we met there said that they saw it, one of the turnstiles where they have all the luggage it had for Wuhan. But a few days later, uh, that was on a Sunday, and by Thursday, uh, virtually all flights were canceled coming out of China. So it moved very quickly, in just a couple weeks after Brexit uh, had occurred. Uh, we have the article that came out in Time Magazine, May the 3rd, 2018, just about two years ago, and just a, a few weeks, two years and a few weeks, titled, The Strongman Era is Here. And it listed a number of strongmen that are rising up, men who are problem solvers. They may have a lot of faults. They may have uh, problems in, in various ways, but they're people that get the job done. Uh, And one of them is listed, of course, was Donald Trump, but also Vladimir Putin, Xi Jinping, uh, Recep Erdogan out of Turkey, uh, Viktor Orban out of Hungary, and Rodrigo uh, Duterte, a very interesting, colorful fellow, you might say. I don't think he would see himself as colorful. He just is a problem solver there in the Philippines. And they had a terrible drug problem in the Philippines. And so he solved it by simply uh, doing what we read of there in the book of Esther, just turning people loose on the perpetrators of the crime and uh, vigilante groups that, if you are a drug dealer, you are open season on you, or they, they have open season on you. And so there were drug dealers turning themselves into the police for protection, to go to jail because they realized their lives were on the line. Now, we might agree with that or disagree with that, but it does remind you a little bit of the book of Esther, doesn't it? Where the enemies of the Jews had open season on the Jews, and then that was turned around to be the other way. And so this was nothing new, nothing new under the sun. Whether we would agree with that or not, one thing for sure, it has curbed a lot of the drug abuse that's occurred there in the Philippines. And so we have these leaders that are rising up, uh, strong men, who are problem solvers, and the people are turning to them because they see the problem so severe that they're willing to put it in the hands of whoever will solve the problem. And that's a very dangerous world in which we live. But we do not yet see that individual, that problem solver in Europe. But as we see this crisis continue to evolve, then look for that problem solver in Europe. And I hope that you'll read our literature on uh, the Mark of the Beast, uh, the Book of Revelation, or Revelation Unveiled, uh, that you will be familiar with that because we see this is where our world is headed. In Australia, they had droughts, severe droughts, for about seven years. And then they had the floods that came that killed 600,000 cattle. And then it dried out, and they had one of the hottest or the hottest and driest uh, summer on record, and the end result were terrible fires that Uh, destroyed uh, what is estimated to be a billion wild animals, koalas and kangaroos and so forth. A terrible time. And then on top of that, COVID-19. Now, Australia has not suffered as much uh, death and destruction from the, the virus, but what they have suffered is economically as a result of it. And so all these things keep coming one right after another. East Africa, as was pointed out on one of the Tomorrow's World updates, uh, has been suffering f- with uh, desert locusts. And I have to confess, when I first heard about it, it, it didn't really sink in at first because there are locust plagues here and there from time to time. But this is one of the most severe in decades, and it is eating the crops of uh, many farmers, uh all of East Africa, a number of countries, it's going on to the Middle East, over to Yemen, and as far as, uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah, not Afghanistan, but uh, Pakistan, probably Afghanistan as well, but all the way over to Pakistan. And we haven't seen the worst of it yet. The worst is yet to come. There are reports that uh, it will be 20% or 20 times the destruction before this is over with the next wave that is coming along. And then on top of that, you have COVID-19, which then locks everything down, and the ability to deal with the problem has been stifled. And then on top of that, massive flooding of a biblical proportion, and 300 million people are affected by COVID, by the plagues of desert locusts, and by flooding in that part of Africa. That's almost the size of the United States population-wise. We have about 330 million. 300 million people are being affected by that. So we need to look at the, the events that are taking place in the world. And the sermonette was really uh, <clears throat> so appropriate to what I have to say here today. And uh, we didn't get together and decide what to talk about. But uh, many of the points in the sermonette are points that I want to bring out. And one of those is the rioting that's taken place here in the United States. Uh, the fourth night of rioting in Minneapolis, destroying that city. This is not this is not uh, a protest. This is a riot that is taking place, and it is spreading to other cities across the United States. You know what happened was an awful, terrible thing, and people have seen it on on uh, YouTube or on video and the news. And it's very clear that something went terribly wrong with this police officer and the others that, was, that stood by. And nobody can justify what took place there. But to tear your city apart, and oftentimes it is outsiders coming in. These are not people who are really interested in what happened there. They are more interested in rioting and looting and creating chaos. And they're uh, you know, people behind the scenes even financing some of these protests. At least that's been reported, uh, some of the, the uh, Antifa and various groups. So <clears throat> uh, this is something that is tearing our society apart right in the midst of this COVID crisis, where 41 million people have been put out of work in this country alone, and statistics must be awful in other countries as well. We see all of these things coming together. And this is all occurring as godly values are being trashed and stomped on and put down. And people are violating the law of God with impunity. And there is no shame, but there is pride in the destruction of biblical values. So I say destruction of the the trashing of them because you can't destroy biblical values. But you can reject those biblical values and with all this, this taking place we have all of these things coming together covid has been described as a uh, a black swan event that's also in that article there uh, and a, a black swan event is an occurrence described as an unpredictable event that is beyond what is normally expected of a situation and has potentially severe consequences. Black swan events are characterized by their extreme rarity, their severe impact, and the widespread insistence that they were obvious in hindsight. Now, I think we can say it's obvious in hindsight because mankind is rejecting God. God is allowing these things to come upon us as a result of it. Today, I'm going to discuss three biblical principles or doctrines They need to be properly viewed together as they affect the decisions that we made regarding uh, church services, regarding the feast, and also decisions that will have to be made in the future. And those three doctrines or principles that come from the Bible are faith, prudence, and obedience to government. Faith, prudence, and obedience to government. Now, as we all know, we chose to hold services through live streaming as we're doing right now. We chose to uh, no longer, uh, for the time being, for a, a period of time, uh, hopefully the shortest time possible, but to refrain from meeting in person where we are singing and a person who is potentially uh, who is asymptomatic Uh, and a carrier of the disease can come into our midst and spread it to many other people. And we made that decision without all the facts of this uh, curse being known, but we had to make that decision. It was made not by one person, but by the the Council of Elders and uh, consulting with others uh, here at different times at headquarters. That was the decision that was made. This was based on exercising prudence and obedience to the governments of that God is allowed to be in this world. We quoted proverbs the twenty second chapter, and I want to re- repeat that uh, it's a it's a principle of scripture, proverbs twenty two and uh, verse three, and it makes it very clear here. He says, "A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. Now that's also uh, repeated in the 27th chapter, verse 12. When God repeats something, it's usually a very important principle. Uh, we use the proverb: "There's a, a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death." I believe that's the Old King James way of saying it. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, the same principle in the New King James. It's in 14:12 of Proverbs and 16:25. So God repeats that, and we always made uh, the point that there was emphasis when God repeats something that way, it's a very important principle, and so we have historically quoted that on many, many occasions, because there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end result is death. There's a a way that seems right, and it seems right in so many cases when we look at our own human understanding on things. We also noticed in Romans, the 13th chapter, Romans 13 and verse 1, it says, "...let every soul be subject to the governing authorities." Now, we all know that governing authorities have not always been very righteous. In fact, almost never are they they righteous in the sense of of being godly. Uh, But nevertheless, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, when Paul wrote this, he wrote it to the Romans. They were under Roman rule. And were the Romans that ruled any better than our nations today? I don't think so. We might have some nations that are worse, some nations that are perhaps better, but nevertheless, uh, it was was a good... When you think about who he wrote this to, uh, it's quite a statement. He says, "...for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves." "...for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil." Now, I know that there are those who would uh, just dispute the Scriptures in that context, and they, they look to all the atrocities that have been done. But God has allowed these people for various reasons. Some nations perhaps deserve the kind of leaders that they have. I think all nations, in a sense, do. Especially our Western nations, we vote them into power... And so we we really deserve what we get uh, for good or for bad. And we can read over in the book of Daniel that God sets up the lowest of men. And and so that's another thing that is there. And yet, nevertheless, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Romans, says that they are not a terror to good works, and how true that is. Most of the time, if we are obeying the laws, we have very little to worry about in most cases. That's not always true, and we know that. And we know that the the apostles were set upon by the leaders there uh, because they were obeying God, and we understand that. But we're talking in a broad, general sense here. And we have to be able to use proper discernment in these matters. He says, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Do what is good. At least in our Western world, for the most part, when we do what is right... We have very little to fear, and even in other parts of the world, uh, because most leaders aren 't just going to go out and just uh, kill everybody off, otherwise they have nobody to rule. But we, we understand that there are some places that are very, very uh, ruthless in their rule. Nevertheless, when we look at our world, our Western world, those of us who live in the Western world, we have very little to fear for He is God's minister to you for good. But if you will do evil, be afraid. If you do evil, if you're a criminal, if you're a drug pusher, if you're, uh, you know, stealing, you're robbing, that sort of thing, then you should be afraid, for He does not bear the sword in vain. The sword, the gun, whatever it might be. For He is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. You know, uh, even... <clears throat> uh you know the the events of this last week uh, do not undo the the overall good that our police forces do uh, there are those individuals who run amuck and we pray and we hope that they will be dealt with appropriately and that justice will prevail but nevertheless in most cases our police are not going to be setting upon someone who's who's totally innocent and uh, we we hope that uh, even in treating those who may have committed a, a minor crime or a major crime, that they would be properly taken care of. And uh, th- this was inexcusable, what took place there. And look what it's doing to our nation. It's tearing us apart. Uh, what one man and three others who watched on uh, did. And they've brought about terrible uh, a terrible price. But that does not do away with this passage of Scripture here, uh, that they are, they are there to keep order in our world. And we know that there are many corrupt cops out there, but not all of them. There are many good ones as well. But uh, it says, For God, he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake, for doing what is right. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Now, I don't think anybody likes paying taxes, and we know that those taxes go for a lot of things that we would not support. But God knows that a society has to be organized. A society has to have some sort of structure to it, otherwise when you have anarchy, which is what we are seeing right now, when you have the police standing back, not doing anything, then a lot of innocent people get hurt. A lot of businesses are destroyed, including, in some cases, minority businesses in Minneapolis and elsewhere, people's cars uh, uh, trashed and burned. Uh, th- these are, when you have anarchy, that's not a good thing. You do have to have some structure in society. And that's what the, the passage is really telling us here. Now, uh, some sincere members thought that Uh, We were not exercising faith by not holding services and going against government regulation, Uh, that we should exercise faith and do what they felt was right according to the Scriptures. And I think that those individuals uh, were certainly sincere members. Uh, They weren't trying to cause trouble. But without realizing it, sometimes we can cause trouble. And it was brought out in the sermonette, we, we have to hold up one another's hands. We have to work together. We have to understand that decisions have to be made, and we are to support those decisions. Some have turned to uh, Psalm 91 as an example. Psalm 91, a very famous passage of Scripture. And uh, looking at that, it says here, "...he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High..." shall abide under the shadow of the the Almighty. I will say of the Eternal, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. Now, I hope we all trust in God in that way. But does that mean that we do just about anything and say, well, God will rescue me? As was pointed out at an earlier time, Lucifer, uh, Satan, used verses 11, 12, against Jesus when he was tempting him. And he was saying, cast yourself down, the angel will hold you up. Well, I understand that's not quite the same thing as keeping the Sabbath. But nevertheless, the principle is the same, that Satan can use Scripture in a way that God never intended it to be. says, surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. So God will deliver us from the perilous pestilence. And the idea that some have is that, well, we should just come together uh, and hold services as normal. And it says here, He will deliver us from the perilous pestilence. Well, let me ask you this. Has anybody ever gotten sick by coming to the Feast of Tabernacles and meeting with other people? Is that saying that we can never get sick? Uh, is it saying that we can just... Uh, you know, rely on on this as a promise during all times? Or is this speaking of a specific time yet in the future? And when it says, deliver us, does that mean that we are not going to suffer some consequences from it? He says, He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrows that fly by day nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Well, I think this is certainly a a promise from God at a certain time. Uh, You know, when it talks about a a place of safety, we've uh, talked about uh, going there, Uh, there... when it it says that God will protect us, does that mean that we can just go any place we want and do whatever we want, and we have to demand His protection upon it? Again, we keep the Feast of Tabernacles. We keep the the Sabbath day. But we all know of people, probably ourselves, who have gotten sick by keeping the Feast of Tabernacles with a lot of other people, bringing them together, or a a regular uh, Sabbath service. But what we're facing right now is a disease that, you know, for most people is not going to be all that critical. For most people. But for some people, it is extremely dangerous and can kill you. Very, very much so. And we have to have enough love and concern for all of our brethren that we try to protect them. And so we are holding services here in this way, assembling I grant you it's not assembling in person, but we are assembling together so that we can worship God on His Sabbath day. And that's what we're doing. And so we may be in our homes, but we're singing. We have a few people here at the studio, and we uh, sing the, the hymns. And some areas are able to open up, and we hope that Uh, That will happen, but we hope that people will be wise in the way that we do open up. And we may have to make some adjustments to things in order to do so. In Hebrews 11, it gives uh, many examples of faith. And faith came in many different ways, leaving your country as Abraham had to do. Uh, We have uh, Moses forsaking Egypt. And trusting God during the plagues and and, uh, all the things that happened there. But if we read Hebrews the 11th chapter, we also realize that, for example, uh, we we could go to uh, verse 30. It says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. And, And I thought that was really rather interesting. It's been a question I've had in my mind. For a long time, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but I've always had the question, okay, if they circle the city for seven days, they're only seven days in a week, and so they would have had to circle the city uh, during the uh, the Sabbath day, or if we understand uh, correctly, we, we speculate this, we can't prove it absolutely, but we, we do believe that it took place during the Days of Unleavened Bread. The uh, first day of Unleavened Bread all the way to the last day of Unleavened Bread uh, being that seventh day when they circled the city seven times and uh, they shouted and blew the trumpets, uh, very similar to what we read in Revelation about the seven trumpet plagues and uh, being shouting and and, uh, blowing of trumpets on the last day uh, the, the last, the seventh trumpet. Uh, in other words, we, we see a parallel between what happened then and what's going to happen in the future. A shout and the sound of the trumpet when Christ returns. Now, if we understand the, the nature of that, that year, that would have been on the Sabbath, the last day. Certainly an annual Sabbath, if not the weekly Sabbath. So, we have to look at that and say that there are situations that God does make some exceptions to in a, in a way that that he was the one that engineered it. Uh, obviously, we we don't want to break the Sabbath in any way, but there was obviously something different. Uh, some have felt that because we don't meet together in one place, uh, as it says there in Leviticus the twenty-third chapter, that we must be violating the scripture. Uh, because it says there in verse 2, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The Feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. Holy convocations. A time to, to come to an assembly. And while some focus on the fact that we are not all physically together in the same place, I think many of the rest of us see it and understand that we are assembling. We are assembling worldwide right now. Remember how much enjoyment and how inspiring it was during the Feast of Tabernacles many years ago, for those of us who are old-timers, when Mr. Armstrong would speak on the first or the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And they had these big satellite dishes out there, and they had to coordinate everything. And it was a a big, long process to be able to do it. And sometimes the technology was not nearly what we have today today but we were all singing the same songs around the world wherever we were tuned in that way. Now, granted, there might have been 5,000 or 7,000 or 9,000 people in one location, but we were scattered, but we felt a certain unity there because we were doing the same thing, hearing the same message in that way. And many people have found that during this time that it has been extremely rewarding and inspiring And some of the locations after the service is over, they talk back and forth, and people are getting to know people and fellowshipping with people that they they never knew before, where you have several congregations. And some people are saying, well, when this is over, I want to come over to your congregation and visit with you. I want to get to know you on a personal level. You know, this is not ideal, and nobody is saying that. But Under the unusual circumstances, there are blessings that can occur as a result of that. Uh, Some have pointed out that we ought to obey God rather than man, that 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 Scripture applies to this situation, that if the governor says you can't meet more than ten people, then we're going to get together with uh, 75 people or a 100 people in the same small room that we've had before where we're crowded together and we're going to do it because we're not going to uh we're going to obey God rather than man. Well, not everyone understands that the same way, and I think we have to understand that there are different ways of looking at things. Sincere people have different understanding of some of these things, uh, you know as it says there in Acts the fifth chapter. uh let's just turn over there Acts five and verse thirty two And let's notice that uh, the circumstances there, and not take it out of context, Acts 5 and verse 32 does say that we ought to obey God rather than man or men. Now, what was the context here? Well, back in verse 17, the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation With the apostles there and they laid their hands on them and they put them in common prison and, uh, an angel of God let them out and told them to go back to the temple and, you know, preach the the message, the gospel there. And that's exactly what they did. They were let out by an angel. The high priest and others came and they, they wondered, well, where'd they go? And somebody came and said, well, they're, they're in the temple preaching. Verse 25, So one came and told them, uh, Look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name or this name? In other words, do not preach the name of Christ. Do not teach the resurrection. Do not do the work of God very clearly there. That's what was at stake. And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. This is what was at stake there. This wasn't a matter of of deciding that it might be wise to do something different for the Sabbath for a short period of time. This was a matter of shutting down the entire work of God, and that has not happened. We continue to move forward, and I want to give you some very encouraging news here uh, before I, I finish today, showing uh, how God is doing a, a great work through us, even though we are locked down, as it were, even though many of us work from home. There are good things that are taking place here. Are we violating the Sabbath by not meeting in person uh, every every single week? You know, we have many people who cannot because of distance. I remember when I first came into the church after, uh, well, actually I attended about a year, uh, not quite a year. And then I went to Ambassador College and after my freshman year went up to Oregon and we were about four hours from services, which began at 9.30 in the morning. And when I say four hours, that was uh, in uh, Oregon in a pretty rural area where the people driving uh, were driving pretty fast. Uh, uh, the open stretch is 90 and 100 miles an hour. I'm not justifying that. I don't know what the speed limit was out west back then. There were places that there was no speed limit other than just uh, drive safely for the conditions. It was that way in Nevada. It was that way when I, uh, when I grew up, at least in part. I didn't grow up all the time there, but in California there were parts like that. Uh, we don't see it that way anymore, but uh, that was, it was a four-hour trip. It was a long trip to be able to get there, and the people who picked us up to go had an hour more. And we were advised by the ministry at that time to only come every other week, uh, because of the long and arduous uh, trip and the cost of it and everything else. So there are times when in the ministry we've uh, instructed people in that way because of the distance. There are people who are not able to meet because of no transportation. We I remember a lady who was about four hours away, and we uh, bought a small com- uh, computer for her. She may be listening in right now. I don't know. Uh, but uh, to be able to attend services maybe once a month with public transportation, a bus, a uh, four-hour trip, and uh, very costly, and have to stay overnight. So we, we bought her a computer so that she could tap in to our services. So there are people like that. We have one lone member uh, in uh, Botswana. One member in the whole country, as far as I know, in Botswana. And she gets to come to the Feast of Tabernacles. I saw her there when i was visiting she gets to come down for very special occasions but that's about it and and so are are we going to say that they're violating the sabbath under those circumstances now the argument would be that well yeah but they can't but we can well uh, we we can if we want to violate the you know the, the government and violate certain things and if we want to be uh, careless about some of these things as as some of us would see it you know, Mr. Peter Nathan wrote something I thought was very interesting. Uh, this was not, not too long ago. This is after we've been conducting services this way. He says, as for the idea that meeting together is the only thing that God wants, and I would say meeting together in person, uh, we need to remember that there were conditions when a person could not attend the tabernacle or temple to worship before God. If a person was outside the camp because of sickness or disease, they were there because that is where the eternal mandated they be. Hence, they could not appear before him until that was passed. Now, we could say, well, yeah, they're sick. We understand that. But he said the same held true for a woman in her monthly cycle. Now, we understand that that was under all of the regulation and rules of uh the Law of Moses, and and uh, things were handed down there. It was a lot of physical rituals and do's and don'ts that we don't observe today. We understand that, so we we don't practice that today. But back then, they did. So if she was uh, in her monthly cycle, uh, then she wasn't able to attend in person. Uh, there are times when the eternal dista uh, uh, dictated that our health situation took priority priority over assembly instructions and commands. Now our health priority right now is uh, we we don't know who's sick and who isn't. Something like eighty percent. There's some reports saying eighty percent are asymptomatic, and so we we have that to to go on. I'd like to read from Leviticus the twelfth chapter, and, and please understand those who uh, did not. You know, certainly immediately agree with the, the decisions that were made by the council and, and the church. I'm not trying to put anybody down on that. I know that we all have different ways and different uh, uh, outlook on certain things. We don't all think the same about everything immediately. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, we, we have to understand. I'm just trying to explain some of the reasoning, some of the understanding of all this. In Leviticus, the 12th chapter... We have here uh, a situation that was not involving someone who was contagious with a disease or anything, but in verse 1 it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, So God gave this instruction to Moses. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity she shall be unclean. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then, verse uh, 4, She shall then continue in the blood of her purification thirty-three days. In other words, for a period of forty days, she shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. So she was to stay away from the sanctuary for a period of 40 days. Now, that's over a month. And depending on when the child was born, that could be, uh, you know, it, it could be six, it could be seven uh, uh, Sabbath days. It's hard to say. But uh, if she bears a female child, then it shows in the next uh, couple of verses that she was to be out for 80 days. That's two months and 20 days approximately. That's almost three months that she was to be away. Was she uh, uh, contagious in some way? I don't know all the reasons for this. I don't know that anybody does know the exact reason why God said it to be so. But that's what God said. And so back then, that's what they did. And we certainly encourage our, our mothers today. Uh, we don't tell them they have to, to follow this this stricture here. Uh, any more than during their monthly cycle or various other things that we don't do, uh, the washings and, and that sort of thing. But nevertheless, there, there are principles there, and we tell mothers to stay away for a period of time. Don't bring that newborn into into the group uh, right away. But it, it seems to indicate the mother more than it does the child. So there were situations when they were to stay away from the sanctuary, and that was a pretty long period of time, uh, 80 days. And again, depending on how that 80 days felt, felt, uh, fell, uh, it, it could be a, a little bit longer or shorter time. That uh, well, it couldn't be shorter, but it was at least that long or more before they could come back to the sanctuary, uh, depending on which day of the week. So I think that's important for us to know that. Uh, what about obeying God rather than man, as we saw there? We we look at the context there. So let's address the subject of faith. Let's look at faith, because that is certainly a, an important subject. And we we exercise faith in a lot of ways. A, a lot of you have exercised faith when you said, I'm going to keep the Sabbath no matter what, in terms of your job. You, you, you decided, you went into your boss, and you said to the, the boss, I, I will no longer work from Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. You know, it's, it's better to say I, I'm not going to than uh, well, I can't because my church. No, I, I'm not going to because I, this is what I believe from the Bible. Uh, this is this is a personal decision that I'm making. Now, some of you lost jobs as a result of that. Some of you had marriages break up because your mate said. I don't like your religion, and you have to choose between me and that religion, that newfound religion of yours. There are any number of ways that we have exercised faith. I remember the fellow that I was introduced to the truth to uh, went off to keep the feast of tabernacles the first year. He was still living at home. I, I was not. I was, I was away from home by that time, not very long, just a couple of weeks, but. Uh, We both kept the Feast of Tabernacles that year. But living at home, his father told him that if you go to that feast, then here's your inheritance, $50. I'll give you $50 uh, and don't come back. And he went to the feast. He kept the feast. You know, that took a certain level of faith. Now, that was not a, a lasting faith with him, but that was an act of faith. You know, we, we have to exercise faith. Coming here to the studio takes a little bit of faith because there are a few others around here. I don't think they're sick, but one never knows. Uh, I maybe could pass something on to one of them. They've come in here exercising faith. We have people that work at the office because of necessity. Uh, Mr. Matherly, who gave the opening prayer, uh, works there in mail processing department. And if you get your literature... Uh, the magazine goes out from someplace else. But all the other literature, good chance that Mr. Matley Ram- touched it or, well, he touched it. And you better sanitize it. No, <laughs> he 's machines. But uh, we have a number of other people there that, that do that. And we have men who come in here and work for the telecast. Uh, uh, we, we, we still do telecasts. So we have to do it here. There, there, there's faith that we have to exercise in many, many circumstances. And all of you have to exercise faith in a lot of different different ways and different things that you do. Uh, so, to, to say that, well, we're not exercising faith because we see something a little different than somebody else might see it, I, I think is, is wrong there. Um, you know, is there a time, is there a lack of faith to take prudent action when there is danger about us. Well, notice over in the book of Acts, the book of Acts the eighth chapter, and this was not talking about the Sabbath, but nevertheless, it was talking about a situation that some might say, well, these people were cowards, they ran away. They should have stood their, their ground. Uh, here in Acts the eighth chapter and verse 2, It says, this is after uh, the death of Stephen, who did exercise faith and stood up when the time was right, and he was called upon to do so. He did stand up and he he preached uh, the truth and it got him killed. And some would say, well, he was foolish. Well, I don't think he was foolish. He did what God wanted. And God needed, I say needed, God wanted some to, to be martyrs in the right way. And there was something else that God was working out here because the, the church was primarily there in Jerusalem. And so now, as Saul, is uh, who becomes Paul later, changed his name to Paul, uh, he is wreaking havoc with the people there. And verse 2, it says, "...and devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committed them to prison." So He did that with certain ones. What happened with the others when they saw what was happening there? It says, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the Word. This caused the Word to spread out from there. It was preaching the Word in a different way. In other words, not in their homes. They They, they, they saw what was happening. They saw danger, and they got out of town. They recognized that there's a time to stand up and there's a time to flee danger. There's a time to be prudent and to see what is happening here. Notice the 12th chapter and verse 19. This is where Peter is put in prison after uh, James had been uh, put to death by, by Herod. And he's let out of prison by this angel and he goes to where the people are And verse 19, it says, But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he, that is Peter, went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. In other words, he met with the people, and then he got out of town. Now, he could have, in this particular case, gone back to the temple. As he had done before, and as God had commanded him, but God didn't command him to do that in this case. He got out of town. He saw danger lurking there. And he recognized this is a time to uh, to flee as opposed to, quote, standing your ground in that, that way. Uh, let's notice over in the 17th chapter. These were men of great faith, Peter and Paul. And they put their lives on the line time and time again. But we will also see that they exercised prudence to get out of town when they could see danger was there. In verse 10, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. This was because they were being threatened there. Uh, when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And so they, they went there and they preached. And then in verse uh thirteen it says, But when the Jews from Thessalonica or Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. Both Silas and Timothy remained there. So the ones that were the object of of uh, violence uh, that could have had violence come upon them got out of town. So there's a time to stand firm, and to be counted, and I hope that every one of us will, if we're hauled before a a, a court or television, whatever it might be, I hope that we will stand firm and we will not shade from telling the truth. Uh, We have to be wise even in that, but at the same time, we need to stand firm and not apologize for the truth. And sometimes somebody will tell the truth. Politicians are famous for this. They'll tell the truth about something. Then the press will get on them, and then they'll recant on what they said. We cannot do that, brethren. We have to stand for the truth when that time comes. But we'd like to stay alive until that time comes, if we can. Because many of our brethren really are at risk. And to think that we can't get something just because we're keeping the Sabbath or just because we're keeping the feast. That does not that does not stand with history of the church because people do get sick at services. They do get sick at the feast. Every year after the family weekend, we have a rash of sickness that goes through the headquarters building because somebody came, somebody got sick, and then they pass it on to other people. This is just reality. Uh, we, we can't live in a, uh, a fantasy world. We have to, to see things realistically. So faith is exercised in different ways. We have the example of David who killed Goliath, and yet he ran from from Saul. But he also uh, just notice in First Samuel, the twenty-first chapter, First Samuel twenty-one. Uh, he's on the run from Saul, and so he goes down to. Uh, Achish, uh, was king of what was it? Ziklag. I forget exactly. First uh, uh, Samuel twenty-one in verse ten. David arose and fled that day from before Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So he goes down there, and the servants of Achish said to him, "Is this not David, the king of the land? Did uh, they not sing to him?" to one another and dances saying Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. Now David recognized that this is not going exactly the way I wanted. I wanted to go down there and kind of be anonymous and quiet. Uh, Now David took these words to heart. Notice he was wise in that way and was very much afraid of Akish, the king of Gath. Wow, here's the man who slew the giant who slew a lion, who slew a bear, at least on one or more occasions with each of them. And he was afraid of Saul. He was also afraid of King of uh, uh, Akish, the King of Gath. And so he used some witness some wisdom there. So he changed his behavior before them, pretended madness in their hands, scratched on the doors of the gate and let his saliva fall down on his beard. He profaned madness. Now, there are a couple things here. If he's down there, he's not going to be keeping the Sabbath in the way that he normally would if he were in Israel. Or, you know, amongst uh, Israelites. That's one thing. But also, he was afraid of this situation and he, he used wisdom. He didn't just stand up and, and say, I'm going to fight you. He recognized there was a time for all things, there's a time when somebody defying the armies of God, he was going to stand up. He did not want to stand up against uh, Saul and, and kill the king, and he certainly was afraid of Achish in, in uh, on his territory. Uh, notice Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. It's really talking about a time yet in the future. Isaiah 26. But there's a principle that we can draw from this. Uh, let's notice verse 20. And notice, well, let me go to verse 19. It says, Your dead shall live together with my dead body. They shall arise. Awaken, sing you who dwell in the dust, for your dew is like the dew of the herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead. So it's talking about a time yet in the future. It's talking about, that is talking about the resurrection but it's talking about the time just before that when it says in verse 20, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. Hide yourself until the indignation is past. Now, again, that's talking about the future. That could very well be talking about a place of safety, uh, wherever somebody might be. You know, certainly we believe in a place of safety, but there may be people who are, are not there for whatever reason. And there's advice here. Hide yourself until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. This is talking about during the day of the Lord. So the, the point is there is a time to hide out. There's a time to be careful. Now, do we have faith when it comes to recognizing that Jesus is the head of the church? Do we recognize that? You know, there there's some decisions that are personal decisions. And let me give you an example of a personal decision. Uh you are sitting where you are observing this service, and you may have somebody else there, maybe another family, or maybe uh, two families there with you, uh, hopefully a small group uh because most of us don't have houses that are big enough to have any kind of uh protection when you you know a closed room and everybody breathing the same air that's probably the the greatest danger that we have that seems to be what they're they're saying out here at this time, although experts don't agree on just about anything when it comes to this this virus, but there are some things they agree on, and breathing the same air in a closed room and uh, speaking loudly or uh, singing uh, creates a certain problem there, but that 's a personal choice if you get together with another family in your home and we 're not we're not discouraging that uh, we we, we don 't think that we should violate uh, the the ten person rule in most states as they are, and we shouldn 't just be meeting on our own apart from services that are being broadcast out, but you may have several people getting together or going over to somebody's house for dinner. That's a personal decision. But when we hire a hall and say to everybody, come, that becomes a church decision. Now, the priests and Levites were the ones who were to make those decisions in the Old Testament. Remember in Numbers, the tenth chapter, that they were to build, to, to make two silver trumpets And those silver trumpets were to call people to assembly. And, you know, the holy days uh, announced them when they blew the trumpets and all that sort of thing. Who was it that was to sound those trumpets? Was anybody to just walk in there and pick up the trumpet and start sounding it? Well, of course not. There has to be order. And so it was the priests, the sons of Aaron, They were to blow those trumpets. Back in Leviticus 23, uh, who was it that was to proclaim as holy convocations the days that they were to observe? Again, it, it goes through Moses and Aaron. In other words, the priesthood that was to proclaim those days, those special days, as was given in the sermonette, the day of Pentecost tomorrow, which we are going to be celebrating uh, that was a time when the Scripture is very, very clear in Acts 2, they were all of one accord in one place. They were all of one accord in one place. Now again, there was no COVID there. Uh, we're all going to be of one accord, I hope, in one place, worshiping together, maybe not physically in the same place, but that would not be, if, if we say because one place, that's not possible when we have the churches all the way around the world. But The point is that we are to be together and unified in that way. And they were. And yet Pentecost has historically been one of the most troublesome days as to when the day of Pentecost is. Some keep it on Monday, as we did as a church for many years until Mr. Armstrong realized that he was wrong about the way he was counting it. But there are people who would not accept that when he went back and said, no, it's supposed to be Sunday, he or the first day of the week. They, they, they couldn't make that change. There are others who will be keeping a week later in some years than others because they count it somewhat differently using the same Scriptures. They think it's different. Then there are others who think that we should be counting from the first day of Unleavened Bread or the last day of Unleavened Bread. And so it comes to uh, Seban six is the case of many of the Jews, or uh, a week, week later, so there, there are different ways of counting it, and God allowed it to be just ambiguous enough and I think we can prove it very clearly as to when it should be, uh, especially Joshua the fifth chapter helps us out a great deal there, but nevertheless we we recognize that there are different ideas that people have. So how do we solve those problems when sincere people have different ideas about these things? Well, the priests were the ones that were to blow the trumpets. It is the, the priesthood in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, who is supposed to make those decisions? Well, let's go to Ephesians, the first chapter. Ephesians 1. And we'll look at uh, verse 22. It says, And He put all things, this is God the Father, put all things under His feet. That's the feet of Jesus. And gave Him, Christ, to be head over all things of the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. So when people talk about, well, who's the head of your church? It's not... Mr. Armstrong, it's not Dr. Meredith, it's not me, or whoever may come after me. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We sometimes qualify who is a physical head, but, but ultimately we need to understand that it is Jesus Christ who is the head of the church. And when we pray in faith to God and to inspire His Son to make the wise decisions that need to be made, Difficult decisions sometimes where there is no clear human understanding of what is the right thing to do, then we need to believe that God will make those decisions, that Christ is the head of the church. Let me give an example. doctor I, I know we've we've mentioned this before, but Dr. Winneil was commissioned to write a church uh, write church write a booklet on biblical principles of health. Now, how long has that been? I'm not sure. But when I would come to headquarters for various reasons and maybe an executive luncheon, uh, Dr. Merrill would ask uh, Dr. uh, uh, how how's the booklet coming? Now, all I can say is it goes back years. It may go back as much as 10 years. Dr. Rennell may be able to tell us the answer to that. But he actually started it, and then it got so out of date, the statistics and everything, that he had to redo it. And we've been in the process of getting it done. Has there ever been a better time for us to promote a booklet on biblical principles of health than right now at this moment in time? I don't think so. So, did Christ know what was coming? Did He uh, allow Dr. Winnell to slack off a little bit? I'll say it that way. Uh, to, to have other priorities so that God knew that this is a time, that Christ knew this was a time. There are so many things like that. I remember when I first came here, uh, and I'll, I'll use a name, uh, Mr. Wakefield mentioned to me, we were sitting talking, and he said that the longer you are here, the more you see God's hand at work. And, you know, I, I accepted that as being true. But that's true. The longer I am here in Charlotte, the more I see God's hand at work. God's hand at work through all of us. But sometimes decisions or things I say or do, uh, you know, those are things that, that I can look back on and say, well, I can see God's hand in that. You know, living in Toronto or Mississauga, suburb of Toronto, during the SARS outbreak, which w- w- was really a big thing in Canada, especially in Toronto, which frankly had a very small number of cases compared to to this this outbreak. but it, it caused me to look into the subject more, and so I gave the as far as I know, the first telecast ever on the subject uh, of, and as far as the church is concerned, I'm going back even worldwide days. I could be wrong, but it's the first one I remember on the subject of clean and unclean meats. Because we did not look at that subject as being, uh, you know, the, the gospel as such. Uh, it, it is a part of the way of life, but, uh, you know, it, it just didn't seem very important. And then when I came down here, I, I repeated that, but I gave one on Ebola because Ebola goes back to a very similar source as SARS did and you know it's interesting because then when this happened i was prepared to be able to give a program on that subject or this subject and it's brought the the largest response for a number of years over well over 6000 responses uh double what uh, i don't know exactly what our average is but uh, sometimes we're in the 2,000, sometimes the 3,000. Occasionally we go over 4,000. Now, that's not because I'm great or wonderful. It, it was it was something that, in a way, I was prepared for. And I've seen that in my life, how God prepares me for certain things. And God is working with each individual individually. Uh, what is the Scripture? It's in Psalm uh, 30, uh, 33. Psalm 33 verse 15 he fashions their hearts individually he considers all their works. God is fashioning your heart, your mind, your you know the, the talents you have he is fashioning them individually and and that should be incredibly encouraging to all of us to know that God knows you. He called you, he's working with you and he's working with his church. And Jesus Christ is the head of the church. You can also read there in Colossians, the second chapter, uh, verses 16 and 17, that it is the church that... just. Let's just read that over there. I, I'm not going to go into all the background of it. This is a, a passage of Scripture that's been terribly distorted by the world. But here in, in Colossians, uh, the first chapter... In verse 18, he is speaking of Christ as the head of the body, the church. And then in verse 24, it says the latter part, for the sake of his body, which is the church, very clearly showing that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Chapter two, verse 10, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Jesus Christ is the head. And then in verse 16, do not let one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, which foreshadow things to come, but the body, the body, uh, is of Christ. It is Christ's body. That is who is to determine these things, to show you uh, how you should, you know, what was appropriate to eat and drink and how to celebrate a, a holy day, how to conduct a Sabbath service, uh, all, all those things. So Christ is the head. He is the one that should be guiding and directing us. It's important to know and obey those who work among you. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5:12, we urge you, brethren, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you And are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So we are to, to know those who are over us and uh, to recognize them. You know, brethren, I hope that, that you've seen enough of me to know that I'm not going to take us off, you know, you know, as, as happening worldwide. I, I hope that you know that Dr. Winale, I hope you know that Mr. Ames and and all of our, our leaders, Mr. Wahabich and Mr. Nathan and, uh, Rob Tyler, I hope you know us well enough to know that we're not taking the church in the wrong direction. Now, you might disagree with the decision, but we're not, take, we're not saying we, we can substitute Sunday for the Sabbath or something like that. I, I hope you understand and know us well enough to know that. Uh, that's a responsibility you have to know us, to get to know us. And you, you, you get to know us by what we say, what we do the videos that we put out, that I'm putting out, and we may have others doing that as well. But, you know, one for the Tomorrow's World telecast now, one for the uh, the church. We're trying to do it daily at first, but that was just not realistic for us. But uh, we hope that you watch those. We hope you read the articles in the magazines and that you watch the sermons that uh, you miss and you listen to the sermons so that you know who it is that is is working here. And that you recognize that Christ is the one that, that makes the ultimate decisions on these things. There are many decisions that must be made in the future. Decisions regarding the feast. And there will be even greater and more difficult decisions that need to be made in the future. I don't know what they are, but I am absolutely certain that there are going to be greater, more difficult decisions that have to be made by the church. But we trust if we pray to God... And to Jesus Christ that they will show us the way to go, that that Christ will guide the church because the Father has put that under His control. Uh, we live in an age of democracy. And we see that in our news all the time. Nobody's gonna tell me what to do. I have freedom of speech. And, you know, we, we, we go about things in a way that the world affects us, brethren. It really does. And and I can see that in myself. I hope you can see it in yourself as well, that the world does influence us. And I hope that we don't allow it to continue. Every once in a while, we have to stop and say, wait a minute, I'm getting off track here. I'm thinking the wrong way. I hope we can do that. You know, no one's going to tell us what to do. I would just encourage you to read the Bible and see where that gets us. See where that gets us. There's so many scriptures that talk about ancient Israel and prophecies of future of Israel that uh, go about doing the dictates of their own evil heart. God doesn't mince words with that. Their heart is evil. You know, Jeremiah 17:9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Recognize that, brethren. Judgments are needed. Uh, Not when everything is clear and obvious to everyone, but when it's not. That's when judgments have to be made, when everything is not clear to everybody. That everybody is not on the same page, but somebody has to make that decision. And that's why we have government in the world, and that's why we have government in the church. Because sometimes decisions have to be made that may or may not be popular, but maybe the right decisions need to be made. Now, finally, brethren, please know that God is blessing His church. We have new people coming along. There are no doubt new people that are watching this sermon today. Uh, we we hear from a number of sources that we have new people coming along, contacting us, wanting to come to church, maybe coming back who had left, or maybe just brand new people. We saw a, a go-to uh, over in Melbourne, Australia, this person mentioned uh, from some, from one of our social media platforms that I, I, I'd i love to be part of your church, but uh, I live in Melbourne. Well, we have a church here. I'm, I'm sure we've contacted that person. Maybe that person is listening today. Maybe that person needs a little bit more study. We don't know. But uh, people are coming along. Uh, you know, let me just read something here that, that comes from a, a source in the UK, the tablet. Uh, it says concerning the catholic church the dioceses and parishes have seen their income in freefall which is leading to jobs being lost and to some institutions facing closure and even the catholic church is struggling financially under the the burden of covid-19 you know we're not we just aren't uh, last month when i wrote the coworker letter I asked people to uh, who who were able to go above and beyond and those who were not able to, to pray about it. And, And God blessed us last month with the best month of the year. And this was on track as well. We were up in income over budget and over last year for January and February, down a little bit in March, but in April and May our income is up. It's solid because of the faithfulness of God's people. And that is an exercise in faith as well. When you pay your tithes faithfully, when you give that extra uh, if you're able to, then that is an exercise in faith. And I'm not trying to put a pitch here so that you you give more. That's why I didn't want that envelope uh, to go out there. But I think about 5,000 had already been inserted at the time. I, I, I thought about it, and then I forgot about it, and then I thought about it too late. Because I want people to know that we are appreciative of the efforts that have been put forth by everybody. And your prayers make a huge difference, because sometimes your prayer may be what causes somebody who has a whole lot more to give to give a bit more. So thank you sincerely for what has been done. And I know that going forward... Uh, God will continue to bless us in that way. Uh, social media. We have 91,000 subscribers to our Tomorrow's World YouTube site. Now, uh, These are people who say, I want to see more. The, they actually go to the point of subscribing. A lot of people look at uh, a video that's out there, but they don't subscribe. In fact, most people don't. But 91,000 Have said, I want to see more. That's far more than we have in the church, obviously. In the Spanish language, it just blows us away. 313,000, I believe it is. Uh, Last I looked at it, uh, 310 plus thousand subscribers to our Spanish YouTube station, our YouTube uh, YouTube subscribers there. Uh, Even in the French language, 22.3 thousand. Subscribers to our YouTube channel. That's, that's huge. That's, that's wonderful. And we love to see that. And Viewpoint, which is a product that's put out there in Canada, they have 18,600, uh, 18,000, 18.6 thousand subscribers to the Viewpoint channel. Uh, we have several programs with more than a million views. One with 2 million. And another with three million. Now that's combining Spanish and English uh, for the most part. But uh, I'm very encouraged that Mr. Richard Ames' program on Sabbath to Sunday has 91.3 thousand in the Spanish language and about 45,000 in English. So that is going to reach the million mark probably within the ne- next month or two. And that's an incredibly important subject, the Sabbath to Sunday, how that was changed. And when you have that kind of program, I mean, it's nice to have a million or two million on prophecy, but when you have something about the Sabbath to Sunday, in other words, how that was changed, and talking about God's Sabbath day, that is powerful. And we love that. I'd like to close by reading a little bit from the uh, Australian update that they send out. Uh, here it is from Clarendon, and Mr. Rob Tyler writes, The one outstanding thing I've noticed through all of this is the overwhelming sense of love and rational thinking expressed by God's people. It should not be surprising, but in a world that seems to be gripped by fear, worry, and anxiety, where many individuals are suffering from depression and thoughts of suicide, God's people stand apart. Why? Why? There are a number of reasons for this, but I think the two main ones are, number one, we know the future as revealed in Bible prophecy, and two, the Spirit of God is a spirit of power, love, and of a sound mind. And he quotes there, 2 Timothy 1.7. God's people are also demonstrating an unusual sense of peace. That, too, is remarkable, considering all that has happened but we also know from God's Word that peace comes from obeying God. Psalm 119, says, "...Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble." And then he says, "...Truly, brethren, as the world continues often in willful ignorance, and the countdown to Christ's return draws near day by day, we all have the opportunity to be wonderful examples to our friends and family." We can truly let our light shine in these COVID days. And when people ask you, how do you stay so positive in a time like this? It truly presents a perfect opportunity to share with them the hope that is in us. First uh, Peter 3.15 So brethren, there is great hope. We do see the return of Christ uh, coming closer to us. Let's stay strong during these difficult times And let's stay unified and together and looking to Christ as the head of His church.